0: Now we know.
1: I am so glad that we have this knowledge.
0: So there's this little coaster. I will take this.
2: No, that's fine. That should be fine.
1: Even when you look at it, it's just disgusting.
2: No.
0: (laughs) I
1: did the best with what I had, actually. Well, don't leave it in
0: there. Don't leave (laughs) the soggy chip in there. Now you eat it. Eat the chip. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it doesn't smell bad. Is it just bland? Let me, let me try it. Is it like you're gonna throw up it, or it just doesn't? <laughs> it's not good. It doesn't
1: satisfy you.
0: It's not terrible. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not awful. Not bad. It's edible. I mean,
2: the other sauces were better. Mm-hmm. You just happen to come on when the salsa was bad, <laughs> <laughs> or. Not as flavorful. Not as flavorful. Spicy.
1: Not as mm-hmm. spicy.
2: All right, so we've got Adam Brohard with us. He's my, he's my good brother. <laughs> um,
1: Can you see the resemblance?
2: Hmm.
1: You guys have the same face.
2: We don't. <laughs> it's
1: pretty similar.
2: Anyway, I'm very, I'm very happy to have you on, because, as you know, we both have a lot of overlapping interests in math. And teaching—I guess teaching—not so more of me nowadays, but you know, the love of math and want to share it with
0: people. Mm. Yes.
2: Um, and you've spent a lot of time <clears throat> trying to figure out how to do that. From you know, going to school, getting a master's, tutoring, tutoring as you were going through your undergraduate, mm-hmm. going to the graduate for math education at NYU. Mm-hmm. So, has your philosophy changed drastically along this path? That you're on now because now you're actually in the practice and you're doing the teaching yeah so yes. what do you notice the differences between what you've been taught and what's actually effective in the classroom
0: um i don't think my philosophy has changed drastically however you don't know what my philosophy is so my philosophy of teaching and learning um, pretty much was i was on board with this philosophy um during my master's degree in undergrad at school, which is a more like exploratory, investigative, inquiry-based form of learning. Um, you know, theories of learning suggest that students are are learning better by doing and by constructing their own knowledge a more constructivist um, learning theory as opposed to maybe what you guys are used to in school and especially what is in college is a very... Um, transfer type of learning very passive where it's um the idea that a student is an empty cup and that the teacher is just filling up an empty cup whereas the constructivist model and and theory is a little different in that it's not about giving knowledge it's about empowering and enabling growth so it's not that i'm giving you knowledge but i'm giving you tools and giving you the supports and resources to help you grow as you know, so that's that beginning student might be a seed and the teacher is the one watering it and giving it sunlight and um and whatever to help it grow into a mature thinker. So is that not only
2: like um so you were talking about how you want to give them this sense that they can grow and what they're learning, right? Mm-hmm. So in the way that you teach, does that not only translate to just the subject matter that you're going through, but is it also sort of how you should deal with life in this growth mindset where you should be looking at a problem and instead of just already being discouraged, being like, Okay, how can I how can I go at this problem yeah. and try to, you know, grow with it? How can I grow my right. brain to deal with problems that you know? That's that's come what unforeseen. that's what
0: that's what the teaching's about. That's what Common Core is about. There are eight mathematical practices. I have them. I have them in my room, and it's and it's useful to kind of point them out. To point out, like, look, you're using this mathematical practice right now. Um, so those are. I might even be able to name them. Make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. Um, attend to precision. Use strategic tool or use tool, Use appropriate tools strategically. Um, using regularity in repeated reasoning. Um, so the, there's like different mathematical practices or habits of minds that we want students to use. So uh, the reality is is that, think about in like the 1970s or whatever, when they were pulling out log tables and, and other things or like learning how to do the multi-digit multiplication by hands and everything. Mm. With a changing world and the technology that exists today, is it truly necessary that kids under that they know how to do some type of procedure when we have that automated now? Like there's there's no need for for people, for human effort to be wasted in procedures that can be completed by computers. Right? So what's more important is that we are teaching them to solve problems that they don't know the answers to because like back in the day, literally, you know, NASA had human computers. They were doing the computing and then they were eventually replaced by, you know, computers as we know them. Um, So as the world is changing, we need to change the way that we're teaching into not just here are these like procedural skills, but here's how you need to be thinking about problems that you're going to face. So, when we teach, and, and that's part of like common core, is um, that it's it's not about learning these, like, these different skills, but do you understand what addition is? Do you understand how we can then take addition and form this new idea called multiplication and then form a new idea called exponentiation? And then how can we build on our existing knowledge to form new knowledge? Mm-hmm. And that itself, the process is... Is what is being developed. So, so Common Core
2: gets <laughs> shit on a lot. Like I've heard it gets shit on from everybody. Yeah. Like from from high school teachers.
1: The year I've, after. Yeah, I've yeah. like
2: people. At least I've tutored oh, for yeah. math. Have been like, oh, it's so, ugh, well, what they're doing at school. They're making me like do all this yeah, dots and stuff like that. And, like that. and a, little, a lot of people yeah. just get people, I mean, very upset with it.
1: No, whenever there's something new implemented, like that's the reaction. People just get outraged. And and having to get used to something different. Yeah,
2: and it's parents too, because a lot of the parents
0: are are saying,
2: this isn't what I was taught in school. In high school school it was simple, you just did this procedure.
0: Because it makes sense that we would want our kids to learn in a way that we felt successful with. And those parents who are speaking out against it are maybe the ones who were successful already in school with that type of learning and then they don't understand what their kid is doing, and so then that maybe is frustrating for them. What that indicates to me is that they truly don't understand the mathematics that they did learn. It was just like they learned how to do the procedure, but they didn't learn what what math is. And unfortunately, the math curricula in the past has kind of been a disservice to what math is and should be. Right? Math is not um, just like this set of facts and formulas. What's important is how we got there, the, the thinking that is required. So we want to emphasize the type of mathematical thinking and problem solving. Um, the metacognition. Common core. Called? I like common core for the most part because it aligns with my philosophy, which is more towards like teaching for conceptual understanding, teaching how to explain your reasoning and to solve challenging problems that don't have immediate answers, right? So it's very interesting to actually look at, and I was talking to my student teacher about this yesterday and I was showing her regions problems from like 1990s to what they are now. And it's very interesting because something from 1990 might've just been, it'll just say factor X squared plus five X plus six. They would never ask that now because that's just a procedure. You you could be taught how to do that and it could look the same exact way every time and you could still have no clue what it means to factor, what a polynomial is, right? So yes, the test has gotten harder and there's been pushback because of that. But what that has challenged teachers to do is how can I teach this in a way that actually promotes understanding and not just getting it right on the test and then not not actually understanding because then what are we really doing? It's it is a waste of time. That's when you that's when students will say, Why am I learning this? There is no use. And I agree. Like, you know, you're probably not gonna remember or care or use the quadratic formula because that's not important. The quadra- the quadratic formula is like relatively ugly. It's it I would not consider it a beautiful formula in math. There's it's not that great. There's plenty of other things that are much better. But I do think it's interesting how how that formula was derived using this idea of completing the square Mm -hmm. um which i did show some of my students um but you know and that's also why like that's on a formula sheet like you don't need to memorize it there's no point why memorize it we have google to look up all these different things um i got off track i was what was i going to say about common core um I have a question. How does so
2: between the two different like uh, teaching methods that you have? So we have what was you know there before, and now we have Common Core. So as people move throughout these curriculums, right? There's some students that no matter what the curriculum was, they were still going to do well, right? They were going to do um, good in math because it seemed to be that that's what they were good at. You have some people now where. You want to say, all right, how much of the people from that, like, who might have been on the fence, they might have done well, they might have done not so well, depending on the teacher. So how much will the curriculum pull kids that are on the fence, you know, about math? How much will it pull them into the crowd where they would just do well because now they understand it and, like, um, are doing good in the subject now?
0: I don't think that that has anything to do with it. I think you can't be, it's not, a, it's not this dichotomous thing of like, you're a math person, you're not a math person and let me then convert you, right? Because I mean, each, what, what it really is is like, imagine your mathematical knowledge as just um, a pile of residue, <laughs> mathematical residue. Each problem solving experience you have adds to that pile of mathematical residue, a, a reservoir from which you can pull the more you have, then future the future problems you can always draw from, but that doesn't necessarily mean now you're good for life and now you know you can do whatever because as soon as you stop learning in that way, and going back to this procedure way, then you could go right back to not under not understanding. Um, I think it has a lot to do with what how in the way in which you're teaching and. I also think there's a lot of pushback, especially from the elementary school teachers. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a big issue with elementary school mathematics education.
2: Because they're dumb fucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> huh? I said because they're dumb fucks. Not
2: the all teachers
1: fucks. or the students? The elementary.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's me, me, but like, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just not, you know... The same, the level of things that you're doing in elementary school.
1: Oh uh, yeah, because like you, because to, to teach that sort of apples. thing,
2: because remember, you know, we learned the these certain properties, like these elementary properties in math. We don't realize how important they are, and the people that are supposed mm-hmm. to be teaching them are the elementary school teachers, but they don't know it on the deep level that needs yeah. to be done. Yeah, well,
0: that's why I spend a lot of my kids come in to ninth grade, at like a sixth grade math level, maybe fifth grade. Like they come in. Because also there's this idea of like social promotion in middle school that regardless of what you do in middle school, you're just gonna be pushed to the next grade. That's what they encourage in like, n- you know, as like a-, a general policy.
1: Do you mean like in middle school when you get separated into the three different tracks like the honors? No, no,
0: no there's no, so tracking has okay. actually, there's research that tracking will widen that gap and mm-hmm. disparity of, of achievement.
1: Yeah. Because um, people just get discouraged and resign themselves to whatever track they end up in?
0: Yeah, like, I mean, you could identify as like, oh, I'm, I'm the honors kid, or oh, I'm in this remedial class. And then that's a one. You have less support in the classroom because, and it's also harder for one teacher to be dealing with 30, 30 struggling kids. Everyone is helpless. Mm-hmm. You can't, and part of teaching is actually managing instructional groups and You know, maybe forming heterogeneous grouping, meaning that I can pair someone who, you know, is very studious and knowing what's going on, pairing them with a struggling student. That way, not only am I there to support, but I can also allow that grouping to to add additional support. When you do tracking, you have a bunch of struggling kids all together. They can't necessarily help each other because all of them are helpless and lost and struggling. And then what that does is widens the gap. And now everyone will continue to struggle and continue to fall behind. Whereas when you have heterogeneous grouping of just like classes that are all similar, that have a mixture of, you know, different levels of of knowledge, then they're able to fill in each other's gaps. And um, so grouping is like a big issue, Um, but that's not what I meant what i mean is that regardless of how you do in 6th grade like if you fail if you do really really well they will still push you to 7th grade
2: so that's crazy cuz how does that teach how does that teach you anything to to try and to you know you know try to study hard yeah. it, because if the bar is so low that anyone is just yeah. going to pass through mm-hmm. how is that going to make you a smarter right more you know um Resourceful person
0: yeah, and also like the state test I'm. I think you can opt out What that may have changed? I'm not sure but but basically like the issue is that there seems to be less accountability in middle school and then Students learn that and then they come to ninth grade and just high school in general and it's a complete completely different story Is that
2: that a function of the administration or it's a function of
0: of, no the DOE
1: Department Mm. of Education
2: yes Right. In and, New York or is that, uh, I don't understand. I don't know, is I don't know if that's... I'm not an <laughs> expert on this. i
0: not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert. That's <laughs> for New York City. I'm not sure what like policy is otherwise but in New York City that that's the case. The idea being like it's social promotion so their idea is that holding them back might actually have negative side effects. I mean either way you put it like it could be bad you know because if if they're held back, then they're like, oh, I'm stupid. I got held back. But at the same time, when you're pushing students from the next grade to the next grade, then think about it does make sense that when I get my ninth graders that they are at a sixth grade, fifth grade level because they've just been pushed along with no real accountability. And that was the culture of just like, "Ah, oh, we can just do anything in middle school. Like, and I really wonder when I get them, what did you do in middle school? I I don't know, because how could you have just, like, not learned anything? Yeah.
1: Do you see, like, a change in your students' sentiment, like, from when they first start to after, like, after the in year? In my class? Yeah.
0: In I terms would, of how they well,
1: approach learning?
0: I mean, some of them come in with such strong ideas and, and perceptions of themselves as math students that it's, like, very difficult to to change their mind about math and change their mind about whether they're good at math um and also you know with like big classes and and severe gaps in knowledge it's hard to get them to that level there has to be some kind of prerequisite knowledge but i i designed my first unit to help bridge that gap my first unit in algebra is not even technically algebra i mean it is algebra but it's it's like basically what they were supposed to learn about algebra in in middle school. We talk about the number line. We talk about adding and subtracting positive integers using the number line. Um, we talk about uh, combining like terms with algebra blocks, the algebra blocks um, or algebra tiles to help them visualize like what what is a variable. And we're, we're going over all of that. We go over what are what are these different properties commutative, associative, distributive, identity, and how are they used? Because the biggest like misconception that they're coming in from from middle school is like that I simplify an expression and it just like magically turns into something else without really thinking about the idea that when you simplify this new expression is equivalent to the original expression. What What links that first expression to the simplified expression is this like linkage of properties, right? So I'm always asking them to justify and explain their reasoning. Wait, why am I allowed to say that A plus B is the same as B plus A? Why am I allowed to say that? You need to justify using a property or else you can't say it, right? And so my simplified expression is not this magical new thing following a procedure, but it's actually a a proof a chain of like statements that have been justified using the mathematical properties. So our first unit, I make sure that they know and are able to justify by saying, oh, that's commutative, oh, that's associative, that's distributive. Especially when it comes to combining like terms, like 3x plus 4x, they just magically say is 7x without really thinking about why are you even allowed to say that? And that actually is distributive property, right? But Again, they they learn a procedure from middle school, you know, from maybe teachers who didn't know any better or maybe just didn't even know themselves why you were allowed to do that. They were also just following the book saying, oh, well, the book says I, if it's the like term, then I just add the coefficients, but why? Mm-hmm. So I do take a full unit in the beginning to go over that, but it's worth it because it's building better number sense and better reasoning and just building this, like, notion that you cannot make a claim without knowing why. Mm-hmm. Or they'll come in with these stupid acronyms like KCF with their adding, subtracting,
1: yeah.
0: I don't teach PEMDAS.
1: Uh,
0: adding and subtracting integers, they'll be like, oh, K- is that KCF? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Stop that. We're using the number lines. <laughs> like, who made that up? Or
1: FOIL. Yeah. You know? or yeah. inner.
0: Keep, it was like, keep, change, flip.
1: Oh, I, I remember keep, change, flip.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not good because, one, they don't know why they're doing that. When you don't know why you're doing something, you are likely to overgeneralize or uh, apply it in inappropriate situations.
2: Yeah. I mean, now the acronyms can be helpful in some different subjects. For instance, I think biology, whatever acronyms may have came from there... That may have been fine, but that was also memorizing terms. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily saying you need to do this procedure right. and use an acronym to do the procedure. It's more of remember these things from this acronym, this memorization mm-hmm. stuff, it's a not money. this procedure I, of. You know, I, and mind I think that you have
0: I think do. it depends on like what exactly you're talking about. Um, I don't like PEMDAS. It is problematic because it's not necessarily always true, and also it's called order of operations, right? Parentheses for P, parentheses are not... It's not an operation, (laughs) right? But really what happens is that there exists an order of operations. Parentheses disrupt that order of operations or have the ability to disrupt Mm -hmm. order of operations. By inserting them, I am changing the order of operations. And that's what I get students to to an understanding of. Mm -hmm.
1: I feel like what you said... um you can't make a claim without justifying it. Like that applies to so many different things besides just elementary school mathematics. Like I, It applies
0: to everything. Yeah, everything. Everything. And that I mean, that's just a general thing that we get students to do at school is uh, evidence-based claims, mm-hmm. right? Which also will apply to math. Um, and um, I have a question. Hmm.
2: So we talked about this, you know, curriculum and the teachers in the role that has to play in students being able to learn. So now flip to the other side. What's the problem? Because there's also this problem. You have students and there's the problem of attention span, as well as retention of knowledge to the next grade.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What do they, so they learn things in one grade and then go to the next grade. How much do they actually remember? Are they retaining anything? Or are they coming into it and do you have to teach them all over again? Because that's another problem. If they're mm-hmm. not if they're not um, accumulating knowledge and keeping it along the way, it makes it difficult for you to teach, right? Right. And then added on to that you have attention span of kids because obviously kids, you know, I don't know if they were meant to sit in, you know, school all day. So they move around a lot, they like to talk. So right. there's that working against it but too. But on top of
1: that there's also like electronics. Yeah.
2: There, so keeping keeping the attention span of your students, their retention rate high for knowledge when they go into the next grade. Mm-hmm. How big of a factor do those play in the teaching that has to be done?
0: I mean, the attention span is a, is a big thing. Um, you know, even adults can't really, like, pay attention for that long. You know, like, after 10 minutes, you need to, like, do something different. You yeah. know, I can't... I can listen to you talk for maybe 10 minutes and even if I understand what you're talking about, like I'm, I'm probably going to zone out at some point and maybe come back. Right. But then how much are you saying in that time, which is why it's important to break things up and it should not just, that's why lecture just doesn't work. Lecture is not a good way of teaching, but you can still have lectures that are more interactive, like, um, but that's, you need to understand like the varied, types of learning the active nature of of learning um that they need to to do things and experience things in order to construct their own understanding so um we use well the inquiry model it's uh we use this 5e model so engagement
2: you... okay as i was to say what are those
0: models engagement is like the spark of there's some issue, whatever, let's think about this idea, what do you think? And that's maybe an opportunity where they can start to actually develop a curiosity towards whatever we're learning or be able to feel successful because I'll design a a starting activity that is like for 100% success, right? We want that first thing to be accessible because if you make that first thing when they first get into class like making them feel like a failure, then they're, they're gone for the rest of the class. Like if they if they already feel defeated by the beginning of class. Right. So we have like different mathematical routines that we might use. Like, what do you see, notice and wonder? And it might just be like an image or maybe some sample student work, like an error analysis of just what are you seeing? What are you noticing? I'm not asking you to solve some problem. You have no idea. I just want to know what are you noticing? You can't get that wrong right? You can notice uh, lots of things. And then you count on the variability in the class. Like you might be able to acknowledge someone's uh, observation that, oh, I see numbers. I don't know. I see a square. I see they, a <laughs> they see like, Oh, there's a pattern. Um, the boxes are getting bigger. But what you can use is like, yeah, you're right. The boxes are getting bigger. Did anyone else notice that? Or, like, can someone add on to that? And then maybe they're like, oh, yeah, they're increasing by four each time.
2: How how well is the participation? Because, I mean, college, I mean, forget about no, it. No, There's not. nobody participating. And my some of my classes are small. They're small. There's, like, there's maybe, I don't know, 10 to 15 people in it. And the professor tries to, like, ask us questions and mm-hmm. engage us, but nobody wants to. I don't know if it's a language well, barrier so, that might be part of it. Look, no,
1: mine, there's no language barrier in my classes, and it's, like, the professor will ask a question and there will be a good two to three minutes of dead silence while he's waiting for somebody to just like make a move. It's also okay. nobody knows
2: each other too.
1: Mm-hmm. In
2: high school, people do know each other in the classes and maybe they're more
0: comfortable to actually answer.
1: I guess. But, but then, they could
0: know each other if you had more collaborative work.
1: Also, it's like, why are we like so afraid to say something? Or like even you're gonna, if it's wrong. Co-
0: because because of the environment, because of the culture that has been set up or not set up. From the beginning it's understood that we're a community that is learning, we're co-learning together. That's not the vibe that you might get in a college class where it's like, I'm the professor, I'm transferring my knowledge to you, let me ask you a question to to see if you're worthy. You you know
2: what I find extremely bad? So in, in some of my classes the professor will ask a question. He's trying to engage the class somebody will answer it and they'll be wrong. And then he'll like badger them and make Uh, fun of them. (laughs) It's like, why is anyone ever going to ask a question again? Exactly. It's like, you
0: answer wrong. It's like, are you an idiot? This is trivial. Look at this. And it's like, (laughs) right. So then why (laughs) would you, why would you answer when then that, you know that that is going to match you?
2: you like an idiot. And it's, it's certainly not encouraging for me to answer. Whereas when
0: someone gets something wrong in my class, I'm not saying, what are you an idiot? Um, but, I mean, it depends on like the type of question. If it's like a high level question, then they might say something and if it's wrong, well one, is it possible that other students have that same wrong answer? Yes. Then it's important for me to understand why they thought that. So that one, I can address that, but then also if other people are thinking that same thing that they get to also hear this reasoning. Oh, okay, why did you why did you say 10? Oh, because I, I added 2 plus 3 plus 2 plus 3 and got 10. Oh, okay, so you added the sides. Is that how we find area? And then someone might jump in, right? So instead of saying, no, that's ridiculous. It's like you want to inquire about how'd you get that? Whether it's right or wrong. My, my question that I ask always is, well, how'd you get that? Like, do you, do you get the
2: reason? blunt reasons where it's like, I don't know, zero? <laughs> no, because again, because
0: from the beginning, it's that was the culture that was set up that you are expected to explain how you got things. They know that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, if, if in the middle of the year, if all year you have just were like, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? No. Yes. No. Yes. No. And then all of a sudden, second semester, you're like, explain how you got that. They're like, what? you know, if they are expected to do that, you know, also there's accountability moves you can use, like talk moves, um, during a discussion where I will cold call kids. It has to be done in a very strategic way. Cause again, you don't want to put people on the spot when you know, they don't know it and they already have like some math anxiety. I'm not gonna ask like a really anxious, struggling kid, some really difficult question and be like, you you know but think about it this way we want to set kids up for success not failure right if i if i ask a question um and okay i'm like matthew is a matthew's gonna explain how he got this answer i want everyone to be listening i'm gonna call on someone to say back matthew's reasoning okay go and then Be like, okay, so Chandana, can you explain what is Matthew talking about? That way you didn't have to produce the answer. You just had to listen to what he was saying and understand it. Mm -hmm. What that does is it actually encourages like actual listening to each other and discussion because it's not just, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer where everyone is just on their own in their own head individually. It's like, okay, I wasn't, I didn't think of it on my own. But I still can listen to what he said and understand it and follow along in this discussion, right? Another issue with like those questions in lecture is probably... I bet you they don't ask it like every, every minute. It's probably like once a class and they're like... So it comes out of nowhere, it's like, what about this? And you're like, I wasn't paying attention. I was on my computer doing whatever in college because you don't expect them to ask you questions. So then you're not being held accountable.
1: That's Get lost different. In the sea of anonymity.
0: Yeah, and exactly. Like, the teachers don't even know who you are. So, there is no personal level either. Like, that connection, it's not like you're going to disappoint them and then you feel bad about it. They don't know you. You don't know them. They're just there. You're there to just be there, right?
2: So, what do you think about these problems? One of the problems that a lot of colleges have is the teacher is bad. But. So, so, the professor is bad, but there is no accountability for them being bad. So mm-hmm. you get you get reviewed, right? There's people that come into your classroom and are like, "All right, is he doing a shitty job or is he doing a good job?" There's no one professors like. There's no one coming in, um, saying, are they doing a shitty job or a good job." I mean, they have these they reviews. Have the they have the course means. evaluations, but they honestly mean nothing. No, because there's people, a million course evaluations that course have gone out to to
1: see which ones are the easy A's and to take those. And they avoid the ones that. Yeah, are like, but that's oh, not solving a, the problem. He's a good teacher, but he's a strict grader. People avoid those. I mean that doesn't well, yeah. solve
2: the problem because mm-hmm. then you still someone's gonna have to take these teachers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because <laughs> because <laughs> one of them is gonna be full, and these people are gonna have to take this professor, and if they're yeah. shitty, you're paying for this shitty experience.
0: Well, so I think they end up getting away with it because more or less that's the norm in college college math. I feel like it's the norm for professors to just kind of be in their own world, lecturing in the front, just like writing theorem, proof, theorem, proof. And then it's like, no, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if everyone were good and then there was one guy who, who wasn't doing that, then it's like that stands out. But it's kind of like it doesn't make it right, but it makes it easier to get away with. Mm-hmm. When everyone is doing it.
2: See, so, so, I mean, some of the professors are good. Um, but there's also the sense that, all right, at your level of knowledge, maybe they're expecting you to be able to understand what they're writing on the board in terms of the definitions, you know, or the theorems or the proofs. They assume that, all right, you've chosen this major. You're in your master's now. You got to know what I'm talking about like not slowing down at every to you know yeah uh, i I can
0: understand that like obviously there is some required knowledge like i'm not gonna be like okay three plus four is everyone good with that like yeah if you're (laughs) in a master's in math then you should know that and um i want to think about why people don't answer questions Mm -hmm. one they're embarrassed because or they don't know They're afraid they're going to get it wrong and get yelled at, right? Two, it's too easy of a question. Mm. Think about how many times a teacher was like, what's 5 plus 4? And no one answers. Everyone knows what 5 plus 4 is, but then they're like, no one knows what 5 plus 4 is? (laughs) No, 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 they just don't want to answer that stupid question because we all know what 5 plus 4 is and you know that everyone knows what 5 plus 4 is. So why are you asking us that question, right? Yeah what I would do in that situation, because it's, it is more effort to raise your hand and get picked on in those types of situations, I do a call out response. Okay, call it out. What's five plus four? You know, call it out. What should I write? Five plus or minus the square root of two. That way I I have some engagement, but I don't need to, I don't need to do that micromanaging of like, okay, what do I write? What number do I write next? What is five plus one? You know? Because I, I will assume that is required knowledge by ninth grade that you can at least add two integers, two single-digit integers. Mm-hmm.
1: So in a lot of my bio classes, we have these things called clickers. Do you know? Do you know yes. And I feel like they're just counterintuitive because they ask questions, right, based on what we just covered in the lecture. But then there's no... And it's something that's like, oh, if you were paying attention, you could get it. It's easy. It requires no thinking. It's
0: a check for understanding. Yeah.
1: Not even understanding, but if you were just like paying attention because there's no follow up, there's no like class discussion. It's just basically for attendance purposes.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: so the classes themselves are never interactive or engaging. It's just like you listen to the professor drone on and on and on, and then you click in to show that you were there.
0: But there's questions?
1: Yeah, it's questions. Like, he'll say a sentence, and then the question will be like, oh, like, what did he just say? And it'll give you, like, multiple choice options.
0: Oh. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, a better way would be, like, doing a poll type thing and then saying, because then you could see, one, if they're getting it, or two, is there a common wrong answer? Like, when you're doing an item analysis for multiple choice, looking at what was the what was the most common wrong answer? And it's really interesting to look at the distribution. You could do like a, some sort of chi-square analysis on the multiple choice distribution to say what were students not knowing or do they have a misconception? That would actually be a very good chi-square test because if students just have no clue about the topic whatsoever, then you would expect that each answer would be an equal amount because they're, I don't know, randomly guessing. You would mm-hmm. expect each choice A, B, C, D to be 25%. Whereas if you've learned a topic and now I'm asking you a question and I and I really wanna test your understanding, I might give you multiple choice and it might be expected, let's say, okay, 40% got the correct answer A and 40% got choice C and then 10%, 10%. So clearly there's a misconception that relates to choice C mm-hmm. that I need to address,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so that's different than just like that. That's true formative assessment. If I just give you some random question and I see, oh, well, everyone got it wrong, but it doesn't really give me that much information because what is it that they're not understanding? If they pick choice C, I have a much better idea because when designing multiple choice, each choice has a reason for being there. Mm-hmm. What was the reason for choice C being there? What was the misconception that they were trying to get you on, you know, so, um, and that's used as like a formative assessment tool.
2: So between, um, different, different subjects, well actually one on the, on the multiple choice thing, a lot of, sometimes there's teachers that put tricks there. (laughs)
1: Like word tricks?
2: Not necessarily word tricks. Um, I mean, it could be, it could be on also different, um, subjects you can get, trick questions sort of in English where, I don't know, they mislead you to a different multiple choice answer but sometimes in math I know, they give you a question and they want you to make that mistake they know you're going to make and they're testing that you don't make that mistake. Right. You know. So do you give out those type of questions? Are those questions helpful to the students at all or is it just tricking them and not helping them at all?
0: I mean I feel like each question has, a, has its purpose, and those, those wrong answer choices are there for that specific purpose of, do they understand you need to switch the inequality when dividing by a negative number?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like something like that is what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, so do you think that test design, if it's designed correctly, can be much more informative for teaching than if you were to just write down other random answers? Like if you were looking for the answer, oh, and wrote well, down x plus y. It's like all right, no, no, no. no let's no, not throw down x plus y. Let's throw down something that
0: someone might actually put. Exactly right, because like, because then the test would be so easy. If if like I said, which one, which of the following, um, is which of the following is an irrational number? Okay, square root of two, and then I put things like. Uh, apple <laughs> yeah cup picture of a cup and um i don't know x plus y well obviously the other one those are stupid answers yeah you'd have to just be blind and guessing you're like oh well a is a number like so i guess that would be the irrational number let me you know S- so but if may... you give ones that are like likely to be put you're really testing that idea so when you ask a question and your choices are not carefully selected, then it actually becomes too easy because then you need to you need to think about what are the likely mistakes because otherwise, if they're just other random numbers that they get, those are numbers that they're not going to end up getting from any type of misconception and then you're not actually testing their knowledge because it just becomes too easy to select the right so, answer. Yeah. So do they do
2: that on all the standardized tests? Well, yes. So like everyone's like is there like a big team they're all gathering around yeah. I so actually like what questions they put out on there this
0: is an interesting story they they changed the AP calculus exam to have four choices instead of five really the reason being this is what someone had said is that it was too difficult to come up with that fifth choice
2: hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so It was, out of sort it of was too difficult so to come up so. with the fifth choice
0: and they wanted the wrong answer choices to be based off of calculus errors and not algebra errors mm. because they don't want kids to not do well in the exam because of mistakes with algebra because you're, you're testing calculus. So the wrong answer should be based on miscon- misconceptions and errors in calculus, not algebra errors. So how easy
2: is it to identify these wrong or wrong errors in uh thinking because math i think it's way easier to put down an answer that you might think that they would do yeah but for other subjects i feel like that's harder it's definitely yeah harder. well for, for yeah, example I...
1: my exams they the format is all multiple choice and it's like which of the answers is least incorrect instead of what is the mo- <laughs> what is the correct answer? So then it, it, it tests it actually tests more of your knowledge because you have to know like you have to know it, not only do you have to know what is true, you have to know what's not true. Mm-hmm. So it just it forces oh, you to yeah. flush out all of the ideas. you know,
0: you know what questions I hate. Mm-hmm. It's those multiple choice questions that have like, One, two, three. Mm
1: -hmm. And then they
0: say, which of the following are like (laughs) the true statements? And it's like, one only, two only, (laughs) one and two only, one, two and three, two and three only, one and three only. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't know one of them, like you're just going to get that question wrong.
1: But at the same time, if you do know like two of them are true and the answer choices are constructed in such a way that yeah. only one of yeah, them yeah. includes those two, then you know mm-hmm. it's, it has to be the third one. Even if I you not I wonder don't what the know.
0: rationale though for that type of question is. Why not, why not just have a multiple choice question and they have that too of like, which of the following statements is true? Mm-hmm. That like for AP statistics, that's a common thing. They'll have like some type of summary statistics or a graphical display. And then they say, which of the following statements is true? And it's a very time-consuming question because they have to read each statement and decide is it true or false, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And it takes a long time.
1: Oh, what do you think of those um, long reading passages preceding the multiple-choice questions? It's not like an English English test where it's like a reading passage and the questions, but like individual. Like for my AP chem test, each question, multiple-choice question, had like, a really long paragraph full of like irrelevant details that you did not yeah. need. Oh, I hate those. It was so, so nice. stupid. That's like so... I would just like cross everything out.
0: Yeah. AP stats is, is that way. Mm. Um, which is why kids are struggling with it. Even the kids that typically are like, you know, they like math and they're, they're the, the good math students that have been successful in math. They come to AP stats and they're just kind of like, what? They're like, this isn't math. Mm-hmm. They have this. They don't really know what stats is, and I mean, I guess it's not. It's not a pure math. It's a. It's an applied math, and um, they don't expect to have to do so much reading and writing. Yeah. In that course, and and some of them might struggle with literacy, so that ends up being like a an additional prerequisite. Is like they need to have a high literacy level because there is a lot of reading, and it it can be distracting. And um, but also. It, it might lead them to not know what the question is talking about, even if they know how to do the statistics part of it. Mm-hmm. But they need to understand that part of statistics is sifting through a context and making sense of the situation and then knowing what to do next. Because in real life, no one's going to tell you, these are the values, find X bar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, another, another part of learning and trying to you know, apply your knowledge is a lot of the, you know, in high school and even in college, you focus on what's the solution to the problem. But then there's the whole other part of it, which is way more time consuming. Which What is, is the problem? What's the correct problem to be addressing and looking at? Right. And that's something that's, it's, it's just, it's totally different than finding the solution to something. When you yes. have a nice problem set up and you can identify the parts of it uh-huh. that fit a model and then you can solve it through. It's like, that's one thing. By now looking at the world out in front of you and having to come up with okay how am i gonna what what models do i choose there's so many things to choose from right. um there may not even be a model for what i'm looking at how am i gonna write all this down get this in some sort of structured way mm-hmm. so i can put it in a problem statement and then that's half the battle now you have it in a problem statement now you gotta solve the problem you know but formulating that problem statement is so difficult yeah, and how well do you think students are being prepared to? I mean, because some of them might you might
0: not have to be prepared they're not. for doing that, and that's and that, that's a really difficult thing to assess. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that's not really done a lot. Like they, they they're not expected. How do you how would you demonstrate that on an on an exam? You know. That's that's more maybe like a portfolio or a problem thing, but. I mean. You have standards and you know what they need to be able to do. So, in terms of formulating problems, I, I don't know, you know what that would look like. I, I mean, you could possibly I give mean, them data and say, yeah. All right, ask a question about it. What do you want to know? Well, yeah. I mean, I, wasn't, I was just thinking in general about
1: in, in science, in anything. They could be like, Oh, formulate an experiment mm-hmm. that can deal with this problem. Yeah. And well, that's and what I want to do
0: after the AP exam is have them actually like come up with a statistical question. Like, what what question do you want to answer? Like, do research and then how are you going to design some ex- some study that will achieve that goal? Right. If you wanna you wanna establish that you know X causes Y, then how will you set up something? You need to set up an experiment and then how will that work and then how are you going to get your data and then how are you going to analyze that data and make conclusions about it? Um, But so, yeah, I do want them to formulate like research questions that are meaningful to them. Um, But in terms of preparing for the AP exam, like we don't have time for that. That's like a, that's its own thing. And unfortunately, like, you know, there's not a lot of time since the exam is in May and then, um, you know. Do you have a you know how
1: too? huh? Do you have a regents too for AP Stats?
0: No. Okay. So I teach ninth grade algebra. They have the regents, and then I teach AP Stats for eleventh and twelfth grade. So how? Um, so now, aside from uh, all the
2: inside of the classroom things, now for kids looking beyond high school, you know, because mm-hmm. they're gonna have to graduate, and now they have to decide what are they gonna do with the rest of their life. Are they gonna go into some sort of trade? Are they gonna go off to college? How informed are people or are your students about the career choices out there? Personally, no one actually told me that applied math was a viable thing you could do. You know, I, I didn't know there was a thing until I watched a TV show that had it. And then I was like, oh, I can go out and actually just do that. You yeah. know, they don't think that that's an actual thing. Cause a lot of the questions you get when someone's like, oh, you majored in math. Mm-hmm you become a teacher (laughs) like you could possibly do nothing else with math but just like teach it because it's just so useless (laughs) you know (laughs) that to me makes like no sense right but also the knocking down of you also don't maybe have to go to college it's perfectly fine not to go you know maybe not everybody's meant for college they want to go and do something else you know maybe be you know be a a comedian or you know work in a union being an electrician there's all these different types of jobs you can do and what is the sort of environment that you're giving to the students to sort of put them on the right path that, you know, they actually should be belonging to? Because college is pushed a lot more than, like, trades. It's like, you got to go to college, you got to go mm-hmm. to college.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that is, is the push to, like, everyone go to college, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Because a college degree is, like, a metric that you have succeeded in life.
2: Mm, yes. And now, do you think that's true? What's true? That
1: having a degree means that you you've accomplished something meaningful.
2: Well, I mean, I think that's true. <laughs> but I think in terms of like, if you don't have a degree, mm-hmm. then you haven't accomplished anything. Mm. You know, because some people see that and it's like, oh, you don't have a degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, but it's like it's not like that. It's that doesn't have to be a metric for success. Yeah. You know, if you're. Because some people, some people, like, cr- I know crane operators mm-hmm. uh, in the city in construction, they make a lot of money. A lot of money from mm. people with degrees. Okay.
1: <laughs> then you're equating, like, how much money you make with your success. your success.
2: Well, it tends to be a good metric. Hmm? It tends to be a good metric.
1: Well, I mean, I think that,
0: that would just be a, a very subjective thing, you know? Mm. What it, how do you measure success? I well, I mean know. it could it amazing. could be
2: with happiness, but to say that money doesn't correlate with happiness, I mean so, to some extent it yeah, relieves I mean, the like, burden. If you,
0: yeah. if you have no money, you're probably not gonna be happy because you won't be comfortable, you know, like if you're if you're constantly struggling because because of money, that is adding a lot of stress to your life, so then you, you are less happy. So in, in some way, yes, happiness will correlate uh, with money, but it's not a linear relationship, mm-hmm. only on a certain domain. Is that actually? Because uh, now that I'm thinking about it.
2: How much does the? I guess where so where you teach. How much does the income affect the you know the kids? Because the kids they have their their own personal lives outside of the school plus the social domain inside the school, and that's like separate from the teachers, you know. Because the teachers have their own maybe social thing there's idea that they're trying to build a good school where people want to come and learn. On the other side, you have the social circles of, you know, the kids and then their personal lives. So how much does that actually drag them down from learning? Because if you're going to school and you're worrying about, oh, am I going to be able to have dinner when I go home? Is there even going to be dinner? Is anyone even going to be home when I get home? Am I just going to be home alone? That, just with the cat or Yeah, something I mean, like that, that? That is an issue. And how how much does that seep into their learning? So like what to what degree does it affect? A lot.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. So How is it addressed? Um, I mean, we have... Our, our teachers do so much more than probably I would say teachers on Long Island in like, you know, upper middle class neighborhoods. We, I mean, we have our homework help. We're constantly like calling parents and letting kids come and finish work and stuff and um, giving them access to computers and, and whatever some of them might not have access to computers or you know there's all kinds of things they don't have a they don't have a graphing calculator at home Whereas mm-hmm. like you know everyone here is just like oh you just go out and buy a graphing calculator yeah. but um they don't do that also some of them a lot of them are like immigrants or their parents are immigrants and they don't know how the education system works here they don't know what a ti-84 calculator is and you know why they need one or whatever and it's mm-hmm. just kind of like oh I don't want to spend that money on some calculator mm-hmm um so is, is but there's a general misunderstanding that i don't think all parents really know what is required of american high school students like they might have somebody like oh do your work and do well whatever but they don't really know like you need this many regions to graduate you need to get this many credits to graduate like they don't know all that so i've, I've read some articles on
2: giving funding to schools and how much it actually affects um the learning that goes on there. So the premise is is that if you if if I have all of these schools in front of me and I see ones from the rich areas that already have good funding, they're fine schools. They have the funding that they need. And you wanna look at how much is the impact of money gonna have, you know, like is each dollar gonna have on the school, then it's that sort of law of economics. If you give to the poor schools, there will be a lot more growth an improvement on them than it would giving a little bit uh, like obviously less money to a school that's already fine because they're, they're like the marginal rate at which these people are going to get better is is much higher than the ones over here.
0: Yeah. I and think how much is that actually? So being addressed? I think well, I think um, not that Long Island Long Island schools like around here don't need more and more money. Because, for the most part, families around here are able to support their children. If they need tutors, they'll be able to get them tutors. And they'll make it happen. That's not the case for, like, where I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. And so, they might need that money so that they can fund more school supports to support students since parents can't do that. Right? Also, think about teachers out here is it really necessary to have not that like you don't need good teachers but I'm I'm just saying that like you could have a mediocre teacher and there will be students here that they'll, they'll still do just fine because they have like parents that are pushing them or they will have they know how to study on their own and it's like oh yeah the teacher is bad but that's okay I'll just get a tutor Oh, they also don't have to worry about problems at home. Right. And they it's, don't have to worry about it. Um, it's a load off that, that
2: their head. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: And on top of that, they can just like go to museums or something with grandparents. Mm-hmm. Like there's much more like enrichment opportunities for wealthier kids versus like the poor kids. Right.
0: And then um, so then, then you take a look at like teacher salary on Long Island it's a lot ho- it's a lot higher. Especially for like the for like if you're in your first five years of teaching. There is a discrepancy between what Long Island teachers make and what New York City teachers make. That's horrible because then
2: there's real, really no incentive
0: unless you're in, <laughs> unless you're in it for the
2: teaching, which I hope most teachers are. But if you're in it for the teaching, you can see the potential growth that could happen in the city, and go there, and that's where you do your work. Yeah, but that's, I mean, not that's I, I mean, that's. I mean, that's. I know, but that's what you do, and I think that's. You know really cool because you could try and find a job out here at one of these, you know, private schools or something like that where the kids already know everything. You know, you all you have to do is just be there and you're there explaining these things. Mm-hmm. You don't have to address the actual issues that maybe they're going through or, you know, their sense of knowledge. For the most part, it seems that everybody gets it. Yeah. You know, here, you have to go
0: through a lot more and for less pay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, I think it's kind of unfair that I think in general teaching in New York City is harder than teaching um, at like a wealthier school. You're dealing with a lot of um, behavioral issues and just like, which is a manifestation of maybe like things happening at home. um, You know, and so they might lash out in a classroom and also like the gaps in knowledge. There's chronic absence, things like that that are holding... Kids back. And so the job is just harder. It's much harder. And, um, what's the absence rate? I mean, our school's pretty good, but there's some students who are chronically absent for whatever reason. Can you um, imagine that?
1: Or just they, like or they, from they school? might work
0: on weekends. And it's like, I feel like in high school, I mean, some people had jobs, but it wasn't like school came first, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, It seems weird that wouldn't you want to be paying those teachers more to incentivize teachers to stay in the city, especially when it's like a tougher job, right? Because then what ends up happening is that, oh, okay, well, I'm not getting paid a lot here and this is really hard. So I'll teach like two years here and then I'll go to Long Island and then teach there and get paid more and cause then I'll have some experience and then it'll be nice and easy.
2: So is there actually anything even being done about this or is it just, is, it kind of everyone's just sitting with it and it's like, ah, oh, it's just the way it is. Or is anyone, any like lawmakers or politicians trying to help with the funding issue? that
1: There's something called teach, teach America. Or something? So what is that?
0: Well, okay. So, um, well, let me just finish my thought from before, which is like when that happens, what ends up happening is that now that most teachers in New York City are teachers with less than five years of experience. So you have these really inexperienced teachers all throughout New York City. So why are all the experienced teachers out here and all of the inexperienced teachers are in the city? How is that going to affect an achievement gap? Uh-huh. Right? Then you have programs like trying to address a teacher shortage, like Teach for America, Teaching Collaborative... Which is what I'm. What I do is um, I train teachers with the Teaching Collaborative, because our school is a New York City Teaching Academy. Um, so I'm a collaborative coach, and I, you know, have trained. This is my third teacher that I'm training. Um, two of which got hired at my school, um, and you know they're successful. But it's like you need a good a good coach to like get them to a point, because it's like in one semester they're gonna just be put into a classroom. And if they don't have a good coach, or s- some of the programs, like I think the Teach for America one, is you teach for six weeks of summer school, and then you get thrown into a classroom by yourself for the next year. Like, do you really think those kids are going to do very well? You know? Um, so it's like that that sort of thing that is making it worse. And it's like, we should be incentivizing. That's actually one of the purposes of Math for America, which like I'm a part of. Um, which is an organization that does like pay effective like math, te- math and science teachers um, who are public school New York City teachers with the hopes that like, okay, you know, let's help you out financially to incentivize you to continue teaching in high needs and, you know, New York City public schools. Right. And it's, it's not affiliated with the New York City DOE. It's a nonprofit organization. That does like professional development for math and science teachers and pays you like a stipend annually. So it's a nice pay bump. It's like an extra $12,000 to my salary, Uh which then actually does incentivize me to stay and not go to Long Island because Long Island is not going to be more than $12,000 more than I already make. Uh So it's a really good program. Um. What did I, What was I saying before?
1: How do you let the kids know what kind of jobs you can have?
2: Oh no! No, I was like saying. That. No, I was saying. Um. So you have these programs that are helping you financially, but we also know that not all math teachers can get into these things. Right. Right. Because for uh, what is it? Math for America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Math for America. I mean, you had to go to an interview, right? And. Mm-hmm. You know there were other people going for the interview too, and they didn't get it. Right. So now they're also not getting this twelve thousand dollars, but they still have to teach in a city like this. So is there actual any, any movements going forward from politicians trying to increase funding in these areas because oh,
0: so they funding, really need it? What do you mean funding for schools or yeah funding funding for schools increasing and salaries teacher for, salary in, increasing teacher salary. Okay, so, I mean, like, yeah, there's there's pay increases, but... And it, funding for school, too. Um, like, the contract, the UFT contract that just came out uh, resulted in, like, I think, a 1.5% increase, which just happened in February, and then next May will be a 2% increase, and then the following year, a 2.5% increase. So, there's, there's increases, but I don't know if it... I don't know if that's just to keep up with, like, the standard of living, or, mm-hmm. like, to actually increase, whatever. Because
2: I feel like the last thing you want is to underpay your teachers. <laughs> and I feel like because because, I feel because like they're not just, paying, them, they get resentful. They're like, oh, I'm teaching under these conditions. I'm not even getting paid enough. I feel I'm
0: like just going to be like a an, sucky teacher. How it's about an, that? It's an, under, <laughs> it's an undervalued profession, and I, and I can't understand why. Um, where it's like, oh, like, you know, you're a, you're a teacher. Some people are like that. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, wow, you're a teacher. But then, you know, other people, it's, it's kind of like, oh, you know, you were you were valedictorian of your high school and you became a teacher? As if it's like a step down. Yeah. And I feel like um, I'm really good at it. Yeah. And I understand math so well and can explain it so well that I ought to teach, mm-hmm. right? They say, like, those who can't do, teach, but I think it's the exact opposite. Those, um, those who can do, ought to teach, mm-hmm. right? If you can do it and you really truly understand it, and can explain it well, then shouldn't you be, you know, sharing that? Yeah,
2: I mean, because a lot of the times the impact that a teacher has on you, especially in high school, for what you choose to do with your life, you know. There's very high things. A lot of the math teachers and science teachers in our high school, they definitely had an effect on the choices that I made for, you know, my career. And it was, you know, encouraging. They were good teachers and they wanted you to know this material and they really cared, Mm -hmm. you know, and that had a big effect on how I learned math, how, you know, the career choices now that I am making and the impact that I'm going to have on the world. So, it's sort of this gateway effect where you have this impact on these people passing through, mm-hmm. and then they go and put that impact out on the world, yeah. so it's very important, and they definitely shouldn't be underpaid, especially in the areas that you're teaching
0: yeah but uh, I, so I don't know why it's uh undervalued underpaid i don't know I feel like I feel like it's some people just think like, "Oh, you just show up and you just like teach," and they don't realize what is all required of teaching and really what a complex task it is. Um, And I feel like those people should spend a day in a school with a teacher and just see everything that they need to do. I think it's like a teacher needs to make, I don't know, a lot, some really large number of decisions every day.
2: You You know, know, I remember because I was there, um, you know, watching you teach like for the day. And it's not just only the teaching of you know the material and getting them to understand it. It's also dealing with their antics, <laughs> because they're sitting there passing things around, and it's like you got to be like, hey, I swear to God, I'm gonna smack your neck if you do that one more
0: time. <laughs> but but it's more than just that. It's like it's, it's taking it's, command of your classroom. Yeah. No, it's it's creating an environment. It's creating a supportive and safe environment that and establishing a culture for learning right it's one thing for me to go in and and teach math but how do you establish a culture Mm -hmm. how do you establish a culture for
2: learning do the teachers hop on to like this train that you kind of are going for in this philosophy of teaching yeah all the teachers in your school are i feel like like all the teachers in
0: my school have a similar mindset like which is why i like my school it is an inquiry-based school like so everyone's supposed to be doing inquiry-based learning. Um,
2: how was it when you first got there? Was it like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why they liked me and why I liked them. Um, I will say, like, not everyone is knows how to really implement inquiry well. I think because of, like, my NYU preparation, I have a lot more tools of how, what inquiry looks like in math. Um, and I have those, like, resources. So, uh, you can... Oh No,
1: no like, l- if you think about it, if you want to, you know, manifest change in the entire country, where do you start? You have to start with, like, the microcosm of the... F- n- you can't control what happens in, like, the home, but you can ha- uh, control what happens in, like, the classroom. Mm-hmm. And, like, when you start out with what you're doing, it's only going to encourage students to... Like embrace actually caring about the material versus just Mm -hmm. rote memorization and like apathy. That's so common and prevalent in like so many people right now.
0: Right, yeah. So like you want them to actually be invested and engaged in the learning, right? To to have some type of motivation. Mm -hmm. How do you motivate them to to see the need for solving whatever problem? Mm -hmm. Instead of just like, today we're learning how to solve linear equations, and here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's a linear equation, and why do I need to solve it? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and when there's no context given... So that, that's what I like, hate about some of, some of the math teaching that happened, and still happens, is like, okay, first we're going to learn how to do it, and then we're going to do word problems. <laughs> and to me, that just seems so stupid. Because math came from problems, yeah. we should start with the problems, and then from that develop the mathematics. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I have a situation that will result in a linear equation, from and then I need to solve. And so, like all the mathematical notation and this idea of like solving equations didn't come from someone saying like, let's do this like two x minus twelve equals sixteen, and like let's solve for x just because. You know, there was some need to do that. And then they had to use logic and reasoning to to find that answer. And then they saw, oh, you know what? This problem over here looks fairly similar. Maybe I can use a similar method. And that goes back to one of the mathematical practices I said earlier of um, using regularity in repeated reasoning, or expressing regularity in repeated reasoning. Oh, I see the problem that results in similar types of reasoning. And then, so then each one results in this linear equation. And then I start to actually group types of problems together and say, you know what? All these problems are similar in the concepts they deal with. Um, Or like an area problem that results in a quadratic equation. It's like, oh, wow, all these problems resulted in this. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should like find some ways to solve quadratic equations because it seems to be important. Yeah. Um, Instead of like, okay, now today we're going to learn how to solve quadratic equations. Why do I need to solve a quadratic equation? Give me an example, right? So, and that's the the mistake is like, first let's learn the math, then do the word problems when it really should be the opposite order. And that's what the inquiry part is where I give you a problem and you're like, huh, let me think about this contextually. And then, then after that, I can generalize and abstract and create the mathematics that I'm supposed to learn.
2: Yeah. And I think that also this type of thinking even if you're not going to go into math or any sort of STEM field, it's still important to no matter what you go in. You want to be able to problem solve because in any case, like let's say you're at some company, right, and you're doing marketing and you have to draw up certain, I don't know, uh, things to engage people. You have to figure out, all right, well, what am I going to draw? What are people into? You have to start digging. You have to problem solve and, dedu- and, and deduce the type of thing you're gonna put out there to get the maximum, you know, response from people. Mm-hmm. So people don't even notice that they're thinking like that, but they are. Because that's what they that's their intent and and what they want to do and you have to be able to problem solve to do that. And math helps a lot with that. You know? Yeah. So um so from where you are now, right, you're you know, a teacher, where do you see yourself wanting to go to maybe make more of an impact on society, you know, where can you get that seat of power and start bringing Mm. your demand down on everybody? Mm. Get that sense of control. I
0: don't know. And get drunk with it. Uh, (laughs) Can you expand on that? All
2: right, so you can go into maybe administration being the principal. You can maybe go into... uh,
1: policy yeah
2: policy and dictating maybe what goes on the regions that goes out
1: you know
0: what I don't want to do that why because being a principal you have to deal with all kinds of stuff and um, I I enjoy being in the classroom I enjoy doing math every day if I'm a principal I wouldn't have that and although I might be able to, like, control certain things, I would be too far removed from the math aspect. So I would want to see if if I'm going to, like, have a bigger impact, I want it to be in the mathematics world. Um, you know, maybe on, like, a curriculum coordinator type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe eventually, like, publishing some types of curriculum, like inquiry curriculum that I think uh, will get students to a place of understanding instead of, you know, a lot of the textbooks that I see are just kind of like, you know, here's how you do it. Here's some practice. You know, how do you actually guide them like a guided exploration type curriculum and textbook. Um, So that's the that's the impact that I could that I could see. But I, I, definitely wouldn't want to be an administrator because I feel like it would be too far removed from math, which is one of the big reasons why I wanted to do this in the first place.
2: Yeah, and you gotta get, you gotta have to deal with those uh, people coming in with like really uncomfortable issues. Policy also <laughs> sounds like really someone, boring. <laughs> like so, like someone coming in and just being like, "Oh, so we caught you with like pictures on your phone." It's like uh, I, just, I don't want to deal with these people. I just want to be yeah. teaching math. But I don't want to be looking through this phone.
0: dealing with like educational policy also just seems like boring Mm -hmm. yeah um and also like you can you can make a policy from you can make some federal policy whatever but by the time it trickles down to a classroom like is it really affecting what a teacher is doing in their classroom Mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe not implement implementing the new curriculum the new common core standards what impact has that had on kids? Like, yeah, you can change the standards, but along with that, you need to provide the training to teachers to actually implement it correctly.
2: Yeah, that's true. Because I know some of the teachers, I mean, they put out the new standards,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but <laughs> this, they, it was kind of like a drop-off thing. Where it's like, I was like, standards? oh yeah, here's yeah. <laughs> the standards.
0: But in order for those standards to be effective, like they need to be implemented well. And circling back to like, what we're talking about with elementary school teachers is that like a lot of elementary school teachers become teachers because you know, they want to teach kids. They want to work with kids and whatever. Maybe they also like teaching reading. How many elementary school teachers are like, I love teaching math to kindergartners (laughs) like math specifically.
1: Most most elementary
0: school teachers I've talked to do not like math and hate math. And what that does is passes a negative attitude towards math to kids. Mm-hmm. So I think elementary school teachers are partially to blame for the the math issues that students are facing. It's like, oh, it's hard, it's okay, I'm bad at math too. That's a dangerous like, thing to communicate to kids that, oh, it's okay if you don't get it. It's okay that if you're not a math person, right? Um, instead <laughs> of like... <laughs> Instead of saying, you know what, let's let's work, let's learn this together. Let's work on this together. Um, and also, so there's that, the attitude, and just their idea of themselves in math. But also the way they learned math was that procedural way. And since they don't truly understand or like math, they are trying to implement common core, but completely missing the point. And they'll still do whatever things you know, the book says or whatever, but they'll still teach it in a way that is procedural so that it actually becomes more confusing because they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. It's just kind of like, oh, and then you draw a box (laughs) and then you put this and it's like, well, what does all this mean? You know, and so not enough like training has been done for elementary school teachers to truly learn and understand math. And I also hate when people say common core math as if math is different. Math was always just math. Common core is, is the set of standards that is forcing deeper understanding. So it's like, oh, I hate common core math. You know, it's not like this n- new math that was invented. It, that always existed. We're just, it's a pedagogical tool that is now being created to help s- students visualize and understand what they're doing. Right? What does division mean? Some, some kids don't even know what division means. And that's a problem. They might know they might know how to do two-thirds divided by one-fifth. Oh, I flip I flip it over and then I multiply. Yes, but do you know what that means? What does it mean to divide by a fifth? You know, how many even if you can do it, is it really useful if you can't explain what division by a fraction means and why and when you would need to use it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you know, and that's the same thing that those elementary school teachers are struggling with. They can't explain fraction division because they don't know it. But they're expected to teach it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So would you ever consider forming, like... You You already do train teachers, right? Mm-hmm. But would you consider, like, going around to different parts of the country and doing that as, like your career, like training teachers, how to teach.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely would, would do that at some point, like, you know, maybe teaching at a university, teaching, Mm -hmm. like teaching of math courses, Mm -hmm. math methods, um, training. That'd be interesting. I think, I think that's how, if, if I were to widen my impact, it would be in that way Mm -hmm. of training math teachers.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. but
0: definitely not at an administrative level.
2: What's uh, what's the time at? Well,
1: that's three.
2: three All right, so I guess we'll wrap it up. All right, this was Adam Brillhart, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Really enjoyed talking to you. Right.
0: See, you. see you again next time. <laughs> <laughs>